I'd like to talk to you about the godly family. Today, the family is being attacked in so many different ways, so many different areas of life, but especially when it comes to the Bible and creation. You know, I want to show you here what President Obama said. Now, by no means am I trying to tell you who you should vote for here. I'm simply saying Obama does not understand Christianity. Look what he says here. Which passages of Scripture should guide our public policy? Should we go with uh, Leviticus, which uh, suggests slavery is okay? Or we could go uh, with uh, Deuteronomy, which suggests stoning your child if he strays from the faith? Or should we just stick to the Sermon on the Mount, a passage that is so radical that it's doubtful that our own Defense Department would survive its application? Folks haven't been reading their Bible. You see, obviously, he does not understand the Bible. What he's saying is that we can't understand, you know, are we supposed to live our lives according to Leviticus or Matthew? You know, our defense system wouldn't, wouldn't uh, handle that. This shows that he doesn't understand the Scriptures, and I'm afraid that that's the way many people in the church are. They don't have an understanding of the Bible. They don't read their Bible. They don't study it. Therefore, they don't know it. And therefore, when they do little, get little pieces, they don't understand the context of it. And as a result, they make up their own interpretation of Scripture, rather than letting the Scriptures interpret that Scripture. And this is something that we have to be very careful about. Look what Matt Damon says here, discussing Sarah Palin way back when she was running for vice president. Crazy. She, I mean, does she really? I need to know if she really thinks dinosaurs were here 4,000 years ago. That's an important. I want to know that. I really do. Because she's going to have the nuclear codes. You know, I, I want to know if she thinks dinosaurs were here 4,000 years ago. Really? I, I, I mean, if she believes that dinosaurs lived, you know, 4,000 years ago, she's nuts. She's going to be having the nuclear codes. Well, guess what? Then I'm nuts. I'm crazy because I believe dinosaurs walked this earth only 4,000 years ago. And if you don't know that, get the DVD, Dinosaurs, Ice Age, and the Pre-Flood World. There is so much evidence from science to show you that. But we're living in a society that won't even allow you to believe what Scripture says without saying, You're crazy. You can't even be in politics. You can't, you can't even be a scientist. You can't believe in science if you believe in creation. We live in a society where here we have Mary Williams, a staff writer for Salon Magazine. Look what she says. Throughout my own pregnancies, I never wavered for a moment the belief that I was carrying a human life inside of me. I believe that's what a fetus is, a human life. And that doesn't make me one iota less solidly pro-choice. If by some random fluke I learned today I was pregnant, you bet your blank I'd have an abortion. I'd have the world's greatest abortion. This is how we value family today. She's saying, I'd abort a kid because I don't want it. I would take my own needs over theirs. That's evolution for you right there. Evolution is saying there are no laws. We make up our own rules, our own desires. You know, I'm definitely pro-life, but you know, here's the problem. The pro-life saying, well, this is life, isn't going to win the argument, is it? She's saying, I know it's life, I just don't care. I know it's life, it just doesn't matter. 
You see, only the gospel of God, only the scriptures, the Holy Spirit is going to be able to keep your kids on the straight and narrow. Because the logical aspects don't matter anymore. It's the word of God that is going to make the difference. How about Dr. Lawrence Krauss here from Arizona State University? He is being groomed to replace or, you know, take over for Richard Dawkins, ultimately. He's going to be the new Richard Dawkins, they say. And he tells us that creation is child abuse. If you're going to teach your kids about creation and what I'm going to teach you, then I'm abusing your children. Look what he says. The United States uh, just... uh... Uh, stated that uh, teaching creationism is child abuse, and I I think it is. Uh, Namely, if you withhold knowledge or you do anything to children that puts them at a competitive disadvantage uh, as adults, it's child abuse. It's mild forms of child abuse, but it's it's like withholding medicine, withholding knowledge uh, that later on will cause kids to become less competitive because Evolution is the basis of modern biology. And, and teaching things that are basically lies, even if they're well-intentioned, is child abuse. I mean, people, it's not that people are doing this to be evil, but they're, they're hurting their children, especially, of course, telling kids they're going to go to hell. That's definitely child abuse. It is inappropriate. And teachers not only should not be doing this, but in fact, if they are, they should be removed, in my opinion, because the purpose of education, as I've often said, is not to validate ignorance, but to overcome it. Yeah, can you believe that? We, we should be able to, yet you can send your kids off to these universities. And I got news for you, it's not just him that's telling us this. There are many professors saying the same thing, even in Nebraska, at UNK. You bet. And so we protect our kids, and then we send them off to the college and throw them to the wolves, especially if you don't give them a foundation. Look what else Dr. Lawrence Krauss said here. The, um, this is something that, that, that I wrote a whole book about, and someone asked me yesterday why I wrote that book. Because it is the most poetic thing I know about the universe. Um, but the amazing thing is that every atom in your body came from a star that exploded. And the atoms in your left hand probably came from a different star than your right hand. It really is the most poetic thing I know about physics. You are all stardust. You couldn't be here if stars hadn't exploded because the elements, the carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, iron, all the things that matter for evolution weren't created at the beginning of time. They're created in the nuclear furnaces of stars and the only way they can get into your body is if the stars were kind enough to explode. So forget Jesus. The stars died so that you could be here today. Okay? And, and anyway. Boy, if that isn't blasphemy, I don't know what is. And then the crowd erupts for it too, don't they? Yeah. This is the sad state in which society has become. You know, forget Jesus, the stars died for you. Our children need to be prepared with a godly foundation or they will be destroyed by the wolves. Richard Dawkins even said this with respect to those meanings of human that are relevant to the morality of abortion, any fetus is less human than an adult pig. You pregnant women out here, what's inside you is less of a human being than an adult pig is. 
And these are the people teaching our children. These are the people influencing other professors in universities around our country. There is indeed a decline in the fall of America. You know, this is what else Obama said. Whatever we once were, we are no longer a Christian nation, at least not just. We are also a Jewish nation, a Muslim nation, and a Buddhist nation, and a Hindu nation, and a nation of non-believers. I agree with him. I agree. We are no longer a Christian nation. Because we don't know our Bibles, we certainly don't obey it, what we do read. And we are not a Christian nation anymore. In order to be a godly family... We need to have Christ as the very center of that family. And so I want to give you some practical advice here of how to raise a godly family. Now, by no means am I a perfect father. I don't want you to put me up on any pedestal here because I'm not. But I think this is a very valuable presentation for us to understand because we are living in a culture that we must fight against We are living in a culture that wants to swallow up our children with technology and evolution, humanism, pornography. There's even websites out there like the National Center for Science Education. You go to their website, this is what it says they are. We are dedicated to keeping evolution and climate change in the science classroom and to keeping creationism and climate change denial out. That's their goal. And by the way, that's even for public schools, high schools, that you're sending your children to right now. Your children, when they're being sent off to the public schools, even these elementary schools, I'll bet every one of your elementary kids that go to a public school, you ask them who Bill Nye the science guy is. They'll be able to tell you. Let me tell you what Bill Nye the science guy believes. He says this, I say to the grown-ups, if you want to deny evolution and live in your world, you know, that denies evolution... This completely inconsistent with everything we observe in the universe, that's fine. But don't make your kids do it because we need them. We need scientifically literate voters and taxpayers for the future. We need people that can. We need engineers that can build stuff, solve problems. You know what he's saying? If you believe in creation and you're going to teach your children creation, they can't be engineers. They, they can't be uh, scientists. They can't have the knack. What's the knack? Well, here, watch this video. I'm worried about little Dilbert. He's not like other kids. What do you mean? Yesterday, I left him alone for a minute, and he disassembled the TV, our clock, and the stereo. That's perfectly normal. Kids take things apart. Ooh. The part that worries me is he used the components to build a ham radio set. Oh, dear. Is that bad? Normally I'd want to run an EEG on him, but the machine isn't working. It's worse than I feared. What is it? I'm afraid your son has the knack. The knack? The knack. It's a rare condition characterized by an extreme intuition about all things mechanical and electrical and utter social ineptitude. Can he lead a normal life? No. He'll be an engineer. 
You see, it's a disease to be a true scientist, ultimately, guys. You're going to have a disease if you believe in creationism. Bill Nye went on and he said, My concern, again, is that we cannot afford to raise a substantial fraction of the next generation of students who do not have the skills to think scientifically. We're at a crossroads in history of the U.S. without scientifically literate kids. We'll fall behind other countries as inventors and innovators. We'll lose our edge. Yeah, you teach your kids creation. They can't invent anything. They can't be innovators. I'll show you in a moment that that's a lie. But here he is on Larry King. Bill, those in the United States who publicly claim no religious affiliation have risen considerably over the last two decades. This recent shift, does it affect the interest in science? Well, if we go away from religion, do we go toward science? I think what happens when you go toward science, you go away from religion. Reli people get a lot out of religion. They get community. That's what people want. And a feeling of something's coming. Uh, and it's very hard to accept for many of us that when you die, it's over. That's really hard for a lot of people. But with that said, uh, my concern has always been you can't use tax dollars intended for science education to teach something akin to the earth is 10,000 years old. And to, because that's just wrong. I mean, it's very much analogous to saying the earth is flat. I mean, that you can show the earth is not flat. You can show the earth is not 10,000 years old. Like, that's it. We're not so teaching school. So why do they school. continue to believe it? Um, so apparently people with these deeply held religious beliefs, they embrace that whole uh, literal interpretation of the Bible as written in English. Uh, as a worldview, and at the same time, they accept uh, aspirin, antibiotic drugs, <laughs> airplanes, but they're able to hold these two worldviews. And this is a mystery. The Bible has history book. The Bible is, is full of history, yeah. but it's not a science text. It's not a science text. Yeah. It, is, it is full of history. It is full of the history of humanity yeah. and the evolution of culture, but it is not a scientific document. Isn't that something? If you believe in aspirin, you know, why would you believe in creation? He's basically saying that, you know, we can't invent, we can't believe in real science if you believe in creation. Plus a number of other things that we could discuss in there that are certainly a, a, a fallacy. Look at all these scientific disciplines that we have. Every one of these with red arrows are showing you scientific disciplines that have been discovered by Bible-believing young earth creationists. Every one of these, the airplane, the MRI machine was invented by a young earth Bible-believing Christian. The invisible radar for the stealth bomber invented by a Bible-believing young earth creationist. How in the world can they do that? Because they certainly can't be an innovator, they can't be scientific, they can't be inventors if they believe in God and the Bible. But this is what your kids are being told. You can't be an engineer. If you're a creationist and an engineer, it's definitely a disease. Matthew Murray, he discovered oceanography. Why? Because the Bible said it was there. He said that if God said that there were paths in the seas, it should be possible to find them. So he spent his career discovering these paths of the sea. And we wouldn't know about it if it wasn't for him today. A Bible-believing Christian. 
Yeah, I know, and you're saying, oh boy, I'm glad I'm sending my kids to a Christian school, though. Ah, you need that book already compromised because it'll show you that most Christian schools aren't even taking a stand on the truth of the Word of God anymore. Carl W. Giberson, professor at Nazarene University for years, said this, quote, Unfortunately, the concepts of Adam and Eve as the literal first couple and the ancestors of all humans simply does not fit the evidence. There's no literal Adam and Eve. Wow. How about this? Calvin College professor of religion, Daniel Harlow, said, Thus Eden cannot be a literal description of how things really were in the primal human past. Harlow proposed that the understandings of the fall may need to be, quote, reformulated, and the church must be willing to decouple original sin from the notion that all humans descended from a single pair. Got to rewrite the scriptures, guys. And this is at Calvin College. Professor Tremper Longman, Biblical Studies at Westmont College, on his YouTube thing, What Genesis 1 and 2 Teaches and What It Doesn't, says this. My understanding of Genesis 1 and 2 is high-style literary prose narrative leads me to conclude that it's not necessary that Adam be a historical individual for this text to be without error in what it intends to teach. Again, we can't believe in a literal Adam and Eve. Or, or Peter Enns here, formerly from the BioLogos Foundation of San Diego, California, said this in 2011 on Westmont TV. Who knows if it'll change in the years to come. I'm still thinking about it. But all the Jesus stuff and all the sin and death stuff are, are still real. Personally, I don't need a historical Adam to make all that happen. Or how about this audio here of William Lane Craig? He says young earth creationism is an embarrassment. Over 50% of evangelical pastors think that the world is less than 10,000 years old. Now, when you think about that, Kevin, that is just hugely embarrassing that over half of our ministers really believe that the universe is only around 10,000 years old. This is just scientifically, it's nonsense, and yet this is the view that the majority of our pastors hold. It's, it's really quite shocking when you think about it. With friends like this in our Christian schools, who needs enemies, right? Who needs the evolutionists? It's sad. You know, since 1969, 1,500 churches in the U.K. have closed their doors. Only 6.3% of their population attend church. And 61% of churchgoers leave by their 20s. We read this in a survey by Pew Forum on religion and public life. The Protestant population has declined from 53% of the U.S. population in 2007 to 48% in 2012. That's just in a few short years. We see the general uh, social survey conducted by the University of Chicago has also shown a downward trend in American Protestantism. According to Pew, Protestants are still the largest religious group in the United States. But what happens when this changes? Followed by Catholics who make up 22% of the country and then the unaffiliated who account for almost 20%. The church is in a decline. Why? I'm going to propose to you evolution. And that's why a godly family is going to be so important. 
You know, Sunday school has been proven to be damaging. You read this book, Already Gone, by Ken Ham and Britt Beamer. They polled people who left the church to find out why they were leaving the church. And the most shocking thing in there is this, that Sunday school was damaging. If you ask people who went to Sunday school, do you believe evolution is the origin of human beings? 24.6% of those people who left the church who had Sunday school background agreed with that. Yet only 18.6%. 5% of non-Sunday school goers agreed. When asked, is premarital sex okay? Sunday school goers, over 59%. No Sunday school goers, 53%. When asked, good people don't need to go to church, it was 39 versus 28%. Is church irrelevant? 46 versus 39%. Across the board, every question asked, Sunday school goers were more likely to be liberal in their thinking. Why? Well, statistics don't give us the why, but I think it's this. You see, it's the same thing that happened to me. When I grew up in a Christian home, I went to church and Sunday school my whole life, but I never learned anything to support the Bible when it came to scientific answers and creation. And then when I went to school, these wise professors who has PhDs, they were telling me about anthropology and all these things that I'd never heard before. And I thought, you know what? The church never gave me any answers for these things. I went to church my whole life. They must not have answers to these things. But I think that those people who did not have Sunday school background, they'd sit in that same desk and they'd say, boy, I wish I'd have gone to Sunday school. I wonder what they would have told me about this. I wonder what the church says about it. And so they hold out a little bit longer. This is why... A big part of the godly family, I believe, to train your children is they need answers with creation. That's just one part of it. The other thing is those who attended Sunday school were more likely to doubt the Bible was translated correctly, to defend abortion and gay marriage, to believe the Bible was written by men, to believe the earth was older than six or 10,000 years old, to believe that dinosaurs did not live with man, and to be very anti-church. They also weren't going to churches that were liberal in their thinking. Nine out of ten were taught the Bible was true and accurate. Only one out of ten were taught that they could believe in evolution. A quarter of them were told they could believe in millions of years, but God as well. Four out of five said said that their pastor said that God created the earth in six 24-hour days. And only one-sixteenth were taught that Genesis was a myth, yet they were very liberal in their thought. I'm going to propose to you that kids have questions. They want to know, why is there death, disease, and suffering in this world if God is a God of love? Why is homosexuality such a bad thing? Why can't they get married if they love one another? Isn't God love? They want to know, isn't divorce better than being unhappy for the rest of your life? How can the earth be so young if it looks so old? Why is Jesus the only way? Because I know some Jew or some Hindu who who doesn't believe in God, but they're such nice people. Why do dinosaurs have nothing to do with the church? You see, nobody's asking these questions, so they assume no one has the answers. And they think the church people have faith in spite of the facts. We've made Christianity some lofty spiritual thing without any true answers. Let me ask you, are we teaching what the Bible says, but not why we are to believe it? I believe we are. Are we giving kids the message that facts are irrelevant, but faith is not? 
Don't worry about the sciences. We just have to be spiritual here. Because there's more science in your Bible than there is in our textbooks today. Why aren't we teaching our kids this? Are your kids getting the message that if you want to learn something meaningful, you do it at school. But if you want something lofty and emotional, that's you're going to get at church. I think that we have made man the authority over God's word rather than God having the authority in his own word. And by the way, kids weren't leaving the church because of music. Music was not the answer. The statistics show that had nothing to do with it. Many are striving to give entertaining messages to make you feel inspired and all emotional. But I'll tell you something. Emotions and feelings fade. Truth stands. In the book Already Compromised that I mentioned, they polled 200 of the most Christian universities around the country to see if they were holding to the inerrancy of the Word of God. And the sad facts are, they're not. Less than a dozen of those churches that were polled passed the test. When asked, do you believe in the inspiration of Scripture, 98% of the presidents and 98% of the vice presidents agreed. So you think, that's great. When you asked, do you believe in the inerrancy of the scriptures, the presidents, only 21% said yes, yet almost 78% of the vice presidents. You see, there's an inconsistency in mission and goal here, isn't there? Yeah. Not only that, do you believe the infallibility of scripture? Only 17% of presidents of these Christian universities, conservative Christian universities, believed it. When you ask, is the Bible literally true? 73% of the presidents, 92% of vice presidents. When asked, do you believe God created in six 24-hour days? 78% of the presidents and only 40% of the vice presidents. Do you see the inconsistencies? Do you believe the Bible is literally true? 92% of the vice presidents say yes, and then 40% say that God didn't create in six 24-hour days. Don't think that you can send your kids off to a Christian school and they're going to get a Christian education that holds to the Bible as the Word of God, inerrant, inerrancy, infallible, authority. You're going to need to do that. It's going to begin in the home because there's a lot of doublespeak going on in the Christian world today and in the Christian universities. Because when you get to... The details, do you believe in the flood of Noah's day? Almost all the presidents and vice presidents agreed with that. But when you asked if it was worldwide, only 42% of the vice presidents, 86% of the presidents. When you asked them, do you consider the earth to be young? As the Bible would say, in the religion department, 77% said the earth was old. The science department, 57% said it was old. See, the religion departments have been just as contaminated as the science department. So don't think that if your kids aren't going into some scientific field that they'll be okay. They're not. If I would ask you what the perfect family would be, I'll bet most of you would say it goes something like this. The parents are going to birth the children. And then we're going to see the daycare is going to take care of them while we're at work. 
teach them to socialize and follow instructions. Preschool is going to teach them their ABCs, possibly, if not at least continue to follow them in their social behaviors. The elementary will certainly teach them their ABCs and prepare them for harder schooling up above. They're going to get their extracurricular activities. Then the high school is going to prepare them for their careers. Their careers will prepare them for their retirement. We're going to see the government alongside that, also helping us with our retirement and everything else, right? Yeah, the government's responsibility, not ours. We're going to see the church is going to come alongside all of these stages to help them with their spiritual life. The question I want to ask you is this. What's wrong with this perfect picture of the perfect family here today? Where are we? Where are we? You see, we are always relying on someone else to do what God has asked us to do. So I want to take you to the first family way back in the Garden of Eden to talk about the godly family because I want you to understand that Adam and Eve were a family even before they had children. Children are simply an added blessing to a family. But the first family is found in Genesis. And you know what we see there? God took Adam and Eve and he made the two become one flesh. God's math is very different than our math. God's math is one plus one equals one. Today, we have an idea in society that, you know, one plus one equals two when it comes to a marriage. No, it does not. You give up all selfishness when you get married. Very different. Now, here's the thing. In Malachi 2.15, we see why God made them one. He says this, Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit they are His. Why one? Because He was seeking godly offspring. Not just offspring, but godly offspring was the reason, one of the reasons God made them one. That's huge. That is very important. You see, many today are afraid to have too many offspring because of the overpopulation myth. If you get our DVD on the young earth, we show you statistically that the earth is not overpopulated and that it shows that the earth is young. But I want you to, for now to understand that children are a blessing from God and we're being told to only have one or two of them. Is that what God said, be fruitful and add one or two? He says multiply. But today... We are so afraid of the overpopulation myth. Or we want to get our career started first. We want to get our education done first. We want to build a new home first. We want to get these vacations that we have planned done first. Children are put on the back burner as one of the least important aspects to a marriage. But what did the Bible say? One of the primary purposes of a marriage is to have godly offspring. Now just about anybody can have offspring. But godly offspring, that's going to take some work. That's going to take some responsibility. I think that we need to take children and take them off of the back burner and make them a priority in family, in society, and in the church. Because let me ask you this. Who is it today who trains the children? Moms or dads? Moms, isn't it? 
It's moms that are training the children today more than the fathers. Now, let me ask you this. Is that what the Bible says? No. The Bible says fathers to the children should make known the truth. Fathers are be training the children, but yet that's not happening today. Why? But we're going to come back to that. You know, we already do something radical in our household. We, we, we eat together as a family. I know. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, we pray together as a family. We worship together as a family. And those are radical things in our society today. I'll tell you what, some of the best conversations and the devotions that we have happen at the table. That should be one of our goals. We need to pray together as a family. We need to not just as children and husband and wife, but you also as a husband and wife need to make sure that you are together getting and, t- and having that prayer time together to pray for your children. That intimacy, we'll talk more about that coming up. But it's more than just having devotions. Like I said, Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Fathers are to be the spiritual heads, but yet we see mothers doing that. Why? Because we're not reading our scriptures. We're not abiding by the scriptures. And frankly, if the women are doing it, men, then we don't have to, right? Well, I want to show you some things here in scripture in Psalm 78, verses 3 through 8. It says this, What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which He commanded our forefathers to teach their children. Why? So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget His deeds, but would keep His commands... They would not be like their forefathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to Him. In essence, it's saying this, Fathers, teach your children. Why? So that your children will teach their children, and their children are going to teach their children, and their children will teach their children, and so on down the road, you will affect generations. You know what's really sad, though? Look at just three verses later in verse 11. It says, they forgot what he had done, the wonders he had shown them. You see, that's very sad to me because somewhere these fathers neglected their spiritual responsibility of training their children and they forgot the wonders that God had done. Fathers, this is how important it is. Somewhere in the aboriginal line, fathers neglected their responsibility You know, Captain Cook, when he went over to Australia, he saw a godless, primitive society. He was half right. They were godless, just not primitive. They were just different, a different culture. Very intelligent. They were just godless. But somewhere in the aboriginal line, a father decided that he didn't have enough time to train his children. He didn't have enough time to to do what God had asked him to do. And a godless society came about. I'm going to propose to you that that's happening right here in America today. You know, we can read in Joshua chapter 4, verse 5, it says, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of Israel. 
You know, I used to look at that and think, why, God? What a waste of time. This is a momentous occasion. They're about to go into the promised land. This is huge. And God says, well, as you're crossing, each of you is to take up a stone on your shoulder. Like, why? What's the point? Well, look what it says in verse 21. In the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. God was giving them an excuse to tell their children about God. Every time you see these stones, tell your kids what I did. I know you're going to forget, so let me set up a memorial for you. You see, that's exactly what the Bible says these are in Joshua 4, 7. He says these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Don't forget, remember. Have we forgotten to tell our children the wonders God has done in in our day-to-day lives? Because He's working every day. In our home, we've got some shadow boxes. The Lord provided a home for us for $300. We took that check and we made it in a shadow box so that we can tell our children, look what God has done for us. A memorial. He's left us memorials all over. You can go to the Grand Canyon, and what do you do? Do you take your kids and go, oh, wow, isn't that awesome, and then move on? No, that is a stone memorial of Noah's flood. If you've seen other presentations, we show you that Noah's flood carved out the Grand Canyon. Afterwards, probably. Very quickly. And the whole idea of the Colorado River carving it out doesn't fit science at all. But the point is, it's a stone memorial. Yet we take our kids there, we stand up at the heights, and we go... Yeah, I don't know what it is about men in high places, but we, we've got to spit. But guys, it's so much more than that. So much more. Joshua said, you know, teach your children this. But we go to the book of Judges, chapter 2, verses 7 through 8. Picking up there, look what it says. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him, who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. And then Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. So everybody's serving God throughout the lifetime of Joshua. But when Joshua dies, things change. Look what it says here then in the next verses. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. How long did it take to produce a godless society? One generation. One generation of fathers saying, I don't have time. One generation neglecting. Because they served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua, but then the leaders apparently dropped the ball as well. Fathers dropped the ball. And one generation, it was gone. Fathers, this is such an important responsibility that God has given you that generations down the road depend upon you even. And I know you can't do it without the strength of God. We'll talk about that later too. But it's not just dads we need to talk about. We need to talk about moms too. Because you know something? Many moms don't want dads to have the authority. They don't want dads to be training the kids. And I believe that Genesis predicted that moms wouldn't want dads to be the heads of the house. Because what was the curse of the woman? 
when, when sin came, what was the curse of the woman? Who knows? Yeah, yep, pain and childbearing. But there was more. It says, and your desire will be to control your husband. Wait a minute. You, you, that doesn't sound right, does it? No, it says, and your desire will be for your husband. Now, when I first read that, ladies, this is what I thought. Huh. All right, she's going to want me. Thank you, God. No. What kind of curse is that? You know, greatly, you're, the curse is you're going to have a desire for your husband. That's a blessing, not a curse. The key is in the word for. Your desire will be for your husband. That Hebrew word is tzulka. It also means to control. And in context, it fits so much better. Your desire will be to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Part of the curse is this, women. You're going to not want him to have control, and he is going to control over you. He's not going to rule with you. He's going to rule over you. In other words, men, part of the curse is that you will inappropriately Rule your wives. That means you've got something to work on too. 1 Peter 2, verse 24 says, He himself, speaking of Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And then it goes on and it says, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Wives, in the same way as Christ was willing to give his very life for you, in the same way, wives, be submissive to your husbands. Be willing to die for them. That's submissiveness. In 1 Peter 3, 7, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Husbands, we need to love our wives. Wives, you need to be submissive. Now, I know that's almost I need to hide from you probably, right? I'm expecting things to be thrown up here at me. I mean, being submissive, that's like swearing in church almost today. We don't want to talk about that. Guys, submissiveness is not a matter of equality. It's a matter of roles. I mean, what's better, a horse or a cow? I don't know, if you want to ride into town, I'd take the horse. If you want milk for your cereal, the cow is a better choice. You see, one isn't better than the other, but God gave them different roles. Likewise, a man and a woman have different roles in a marriage. And by the way, being submissive is a good thing. Men are to be submissive to God. It's just a matter of headship. Headship is important. It's important in the army. It's important in a police force, it's important in the church, and it's important in the family. Women, let me ask you something. Are you willing to do what God has ordained for you regardless of your opinions? Are you willing to submit to your husbands regardless of who your husband is, how he behaves? And men... Look what Ephesians 5.25 says. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You're supposed to love 
your wives. You know the Bible constantly tells men that, love your wives, love your wives. Keeps telling women, be submissive, be submissive. Why? Because it addresses our weaknesses. Women don't have a problem loving us. So the Bible doesn't need to tell them to love us. It says submit because that's what they have a problem with. And you know what? Men, we have a problem loving our wives. You may say, no, I love my wife. No, I'm talking biblical love here. You see, when Jesus says love our wives as Christ loved the church, did Jesus come and say, hey, I want dinner at six. Rub my feet. Do this. How come this floor is so dirty? No. He said this, I did not come to be served, but to serve. You see, if we're going to love our wives as Christ loved the church, men, we're going to serve our wives. Men, are you willing to do what God has ordained for you as your role, regardless of your opinion? You know, I am convinced that if both of us would submit to the roles that God has ordained for us in a marriage, those marriages would work. We're told that over 50% of marriages end up in divorce today, and there's not much difference between the church and the world. But that's a worldly statistic, again, because here's the thing. If you take people who go to church regularly as a family, pray together as a family, worship together as a family, not just on Sunday, but throughout the week, when God is placed as the center of that marriage, one in 300 get divorced. It makes sense that if we go to the one who instituted the rules of how to operate in a marriage, that those marriages would work. But I'm sorry, we're told that we fall in love today. We don't fall in love. I'm sorry, we watch far too much garbage on television, those soap operas and those romance movies and all this. It gives us a false impression of what love is. We don't fall in love. We choose to love the way God has shown us to love. Love is far more of a commitment than it is an emotion. I'll tell you one thing. I am so glad that God didn't fall in love with me because he'd fall out of love real quickly. Yeah. It's a commitment, not an emotion. And you know something? When we're committed to somebody, those emotions then come. That's why you don't fall in love. You choose to love the way Christ has shown us to love. Now, I know some of you might be offended by what I'm saying here today. That's not my goal. I'm not trying to offend you. You know, that word submissiveness, already I know some of the hairs on your head have stood up. Telling you men that you need to take more time and train your children. I'm sure some of you are saying, I wish you wouldn't be saying that, and you're, you're hoping your wife didn't hear that. That's not my goal. My goal is to tell you what the Word of God says about raising children. And then you need to go and you need to look at what that says. And you need to apply it to your life. Because I will say this, we are far too anti-family today. Far too anti-family. We go to churches today and we see all the teenagers sitting in one area. I'll tell you something. I found some of the notes in churches that I have attended that those teenagers were writing. And they shouldn't have been writing those in church, let alone even out, or, you know, out of church, I should say, let alone in church. We need to worship together as a family. And don't let that Sunday sermon end when the pastor is done speaking. You go home and you talk about that message to see what the kids got out of it, to reinforce it. 
Let me ask you this. If I would give you a piece of paper and a pencil, would you be able to answer these questions? What does the Bible say about raising children? What does the Bible say about discipline? What does the Bible say about education? Now, here's my next question. If you can't answer those questions about what the Bible says, because, again, I don't want to know what Dr. Dobson says. I don't want to know what your, your, your parents said. I want to know what the Bible says. And if you can't answer those questions, then whose methods are you using in training your children? Why are you having kids? Whose methods are you using? Your parents' methods? The wrong methods? How do you know? Unless you have some kind of standard, a guideline to go by. Today, I can get 10 parents in a room, and I've got 10 different ideas of how you're supposed to raise children. Why? Because there's no standard. It's just whatever is the next hottest idea going by. Let's jump on that bandwagon for a while. You see, guys, what I am going to say is this. I can't tell you what you should do in raising your children in every circumstance outside of this, that your first priority must be to make sure that you measure what you do against the Word of God, not society, not what everybody else is doing. That's our first priority. The Bible is our foundation. For whatever reason, 90% of the people are sending their kids to public schools today. If that is your choice, if that is what your circumstances merit, I will not disagree with you. However, if you're going to send your children to the public schools today in our society because, you know, it's just what we do and there's a good Christian school in your area, and if you're going to send them there for unbiblical reasons, selfish reasons, sports, the math programs, then I might disagree with you. You see, some people don't have a choice. There may not be a Christian school in your area. You may literally not be able to afford it right now. But if you can afford the nice car and can't afford your kids to you know, send them to a Christian education, I might disagree with you. It's a matter of priorities. The Bible says this in Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 through 7. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. In other words, what he's saying is this. 100% of the time, in 100% of what you do, your goal must be to train your children in godly things. Yes, that means you need to have prayer. Yes, it means you need to have family devotions. But it also means this. It means that when you go to the zoo and you see animals eating meat, you say, wow, did you know that animals didn't always eat meat? That we were created as vegetarians? It's not until after Noah got off the ark that we were given permission to eat meat? Yeah. It also means that when you see the fossils, billions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down by water all over the earth, you tell your children how fossils form quickly and you need water to do it. And Noah's flood would have been how these formed. Or if you're working out in the shop or driving down the road and somebody cuts you off, you don't let those creative words come flying out of your mouth. I was a teacher for 10 years, and I'd hear you know, comments like this all the time. Boy, that little Johnny, he's got a temper just like his father. Well, why do you suppose that was? 
because little Johnny wanted to be just like his father. Little Johnny was watching daddy. 1 Corinthians 6.12 says, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Guys, I want 100% of the time, in 100% of what I do, I want my kids to have an excuse to think about God. 100% of the time. Yes, it means we have prayer, but it also means when our kids come home, I want them to see the artwork on the walls to be Christian. I want them to see when they have a chance to go pick out movies and their videos, I want them to have opportunities to pick out Christian videos. When they go to the bookshelf, I want them to have an opportunity to hear, you know, pick out a Christian book. When they get into the car, I want it to be Christian radio that's on. Because... 100% of the time and 100% of what we do, our goal is to train our children in godly things. And we need to have quality time with them. Brooke Adams, son of Charles Adams, he was Lincoln's ambassador to England at the age of 12, by the way. Can you imagine doing that today? In his diary, this child said, went fishing today with my father the most glorious day of my life. You know what's really sad, though? The same day's entry in his father's journal said this, went fishing today with my son. A wasted day. Guys, the time we spend with our children is invaluable, but it must be quality time. Teach your children godly things, even when you're going fishing. Teach them to be fishers of men, because I'll tell you something, if they see Christ in you, chances are you'll see Christ in them. But if they don't see Christ in you, chances are you won't see Christ in them. You know, when my children were young, there was nothing more precious and heartwarming than to see my children get down on their knees by their beds and pray. And pray prayers that we would teach them to pray and to hear them pray from their hearts. You know, another thing the Bible tells us is that God is all in all. You know, we often prioritize God in our lives. We say, God, you are number one in my life, my, my religious life. The second most important thing is my family. The third most important thing is my work. Then fourth, probably my entertainment and so on. Satan loves that. Because, see, God is all in all. He is everything in your spiritual life. He is everything in your family. He is everything in your work. He is everything in your entertainment. Is he? Is he everything? You know, a lot of us can say he is in our family, maybe, in, in our, our spiritual life. But what about your workplace? What about your entertainment? So often I hear people going to these rated R movies. Oh, but don't worry, God, I'll be back. We're going to leave you here, God, but I'll be back. God is all in all, and your children are watching you. I hate it when I hear pe people saying things like this to your kids. No, you need to get out of here. Go to, go, go to the room. You can't watch this. What message did you just send to your children? Oh, when I get to be an adult, sin is okay. Apparently, sin has an age limit. No, your children are watching you, and if God is all in all in your life, it will be all in their life. 
You know, we'd go out and we would evangelize, and my kids would see and hear me evangelize to, to these kids. I remember Noah was probably, I don't know, 8, 10 years old. We went to a park, and this kid was sliding down the slide, and, and, and he was swearing. And I heard my son Noah just, you know, basically regurgitate the things that I said. You know, are you a Christian? Do you know the Ten Commandments? You know what? God, you shouldn't do this. God, God says this. And he was witnessing to this kid. And I thought, wow, how awesome to see my little child witness to another kid. You think that would have happened if I didn't train him to do so? No. And again, don't get me wrong. I'm not a perfect father. My kids don't always do that. My point is, is that this is what we strive through by the help of God, the grace of God, to do so. Proverbs 22.6 says this, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. You know that word train is very important, because in the Hebrew here, it, it literally means this, give no option. Give your children no option about the word of God. Brainwash your children in God's word. Now, I know there are many atheists who would love for me to say that. They, oh, see, they're admitting you're brainwashing your kids. Yep, because you know what? Everybody brainwashes their kids. It's just a matter of what you brainwash them with. Man's word or God's word. It's kind of like vegetables. Did you give your children an option of whether or not they wanted to eat vegetables? Of course not. Why? Because you love your kids. And you wanted what was best for them. You wanted them to grow up to be healthy. So you made them eat their vegetables because you loved them. And you know what? Most kids, when you've caused them to do that, they grow up and they'll eat all kinds of food. But when we don't, they become picky when we don't make them eat food. They become acquainted with it. You know, Ken Ham used to talk about this a lot. In Australia, they had this stuff called Vegemite. It's this black paste that looks like chocolate, which is terrible, because that means we'll take a big bite out of it, and it is awful. But these Australians love it. They love Vegemite. They put it on things. Even when their kids are babies, they'll stick this thing on their lips and use it kind of as a pacifier. So do you know what? They grow up loving Vegemite. But you give it to an American, and it'll ruin your taste buds for six months. It's awful. And like I said, because it looks like chocolate, we take a big spoonful of it. Oh, yeah, whoa, terrible. But in America, we love pickles. Many Americans love pickles. And you know what? Many kids, when they're teething, they give them a pickle to chew on. And many kids grow up loving pickles. But you give one to an Australian, they can't stand it because they haven't grown up on it. Do you suppose the same is true for the Word of God? That if we train up a child in the way he should go when he is old, he will not turn from it? You bet it is. Matthew 5.13 says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You know, as a teacher, I'd many times have parents come into the the office as a principal, and and they would say, You know, we're going to let little Johnny go off to the public school this year because he needs to be salt of the earth. And I'd always ask him, do you know what the rest of that verse says? Never once did I have a parent say, yes, yes, I do, as a matter of fact. No, 
They've heard it so many times being regurgitated that we have to be salt of the earth. Let's make our kids be salt of the earth. I said, well, let's look at this. It says, if this kid, if your salt loses its saltiness, it's no longer good for anything but to be trampled. Are you sure enough that your child is ready to be salt of the earth, that he won't lose his saltiness out there in the world? Because I got news for you guys. Most adults can't handle hanging around with the ungodliness that goes on out in the real world. So are you sure your kids can handle it without them being influenced negatively? And by the way as well, Mark 9.50 says, Have salt in yourselves. You've got to be salt to give salt, don't you? If you're not reading your Bibles and you don't know the Scriptures, I bet your kids don't. And oftentimes they say, Well, my kids probably know more than, than I do. Why? Because you're relying on somebody else to teach them, like we said before. Always relying on someone else to take on your responsibility. I know this isn't easy to take in, guys, but it's truth. You know what we found out? We found out that our children are like empty salt vessels. And our goal as as believers in Christ is to keep pouring in as pure biblical truth as possible into our children. Keep pouring it in and pouring it in and pouring it in. I'll tell you something. When I found out my wife was pregnant with Noah, my first son, I began singing to the womb almost every day, Jesus loves me. I I missed a handful of days is all. And you know when that baby came out, it was screaming. And I began singing, Jesus loves me. And you know what? He stopped crying immediately. You can say, oh, that was just a coincidence. No, it happened before. again. I'll tell you something. There is a power in the name of Jesus and in the word of God that I can't explain, but I have experienced and I know it to be true. There is a power there. You know, even John the Baptist leapt in the womb in the presence of Jesus. I'll tell you, one of the best things you can do, you women that are pregnant, read the Bible to your baby inside the womb. I know they can't understand it all. It doesn't matter. It's a power of the Word of God that still works. Do you think that baby John the Baptist really understood what was going on when he leapt in the presence of Jesus? No. But there's a power at work. We kept pouring it in. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. He comes out screaming. It stops. Many of my friends were a little offended by my view of my sinful little creature that we had. I mean, it, it's a viper in a diaper. I mean, any of you have kids, you know that. I mean, if oh, this is going to be wonderful. It's such a beautiful, innocent little... No, it's a viper in a diaper. And you know what? That's what the Bible says. In Psalm 51.5, it says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. From the moment of conception, you were loved by God and in need of a Savior. We found out that our children are sinful little creatures. I mean, think about it. Did you have to teach your kids to be selfish? No, they came out screaming for stuff, didn't they? No, you have to teach your kids to share. You have to teach your kids the good things. Isn't that funny? Disease is contagious, but the good things aren't. Health is not contagious, is it? 
Yeah, just like the Bible said in Psalm 51.5, we found out that was true. And you know what? Those people that were offended by me saying it was a sinful little creature, when they had kids, they found out <laughs> that the Bible was right. We found out that our children have a sinful bias against God right out of the chute. They have a sinful bias. You see, we want to give them the salt, but they don't want it. Test it. Give your child the memory verse. See how much they remember a week later. Ask them what last Sunday's sermon was about. Test it. See if they remembered it. You say, well, pastor poured in some salt. Let's see if they've got it. Easy to test it. We found out that our children have holes in their feet. We keep pouring it in, pouring it in, pouring it in, and it keeps coming right out the bottom. That means, fathers, we have to work very hard to keep putting it in. You can't just tell them once. You have to go over it and over it and over it and over it. But in our society today, what are our kids doing? They're watching TV and they're watching TV and they're watching TV. And what are they remembering? What's on TV? I'd get so frustrated kids coming into our school that knew more about the the Huskers or their favorite sports team than they did about the Bible. Guys, where your heart is, that's where your God is going to be. If you know more about your work or about your sports teams than you know about the Bible, I'm going to suggest to you that you have some priorities that need fixing. If you're going to have salt, to give salt. Another thing, some godly advice, is you need to understand that your children need to have good influences. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. You have a responsibility to keep your children from hanging around with ungodly people. You have every right to do that. You have a responsibility to do that. I mean, you might think that your kids are going to be okay in that public, public school hanging around with other ungodly people when you wouldn't be, probably. I mean, think about this. Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot. You know, the angel had to grab him by the hand to lead him out. Now, by the way, Lot was a righteous man. It's Peter, I believe, who says that he was a a righteous man tormented daily by the things that were going on in that city. Now, the funny thing is, if you would ask me to name ten righteous people in the Scripture, Lot wouldn't even come to mind. Sometimes I'm thankful for that because, you know what, sometimes I wouldn't come to mind either. But that is the grace and mercy of God right there. But what I want you to understand is this. Lot, when he first left his his uncle Abraham, he camped facing Sodom. That's it. And the culture sucked him in because pretty soon he was near Sodom. Then he was in the gates of Sodom. And then he had to be grabbed by the hand to be led out of Sodom. And I'll tell you something. Lot was a righteous man because the Bible tells me so. But his family didn't make it out, did they? His wife turned into a pillar of salt, longing, looking back, longing for what she had there. His two daughters raped him after he gets out of there. One became the Moabites, you know, the enemies of Israel. The, The offspring became enemies of Israel. Even if Lot was strong enough 
to be in there, I can tell you this, his daughters weren't. You might think you're strong enough to go against this world, but are you sure enough that your children are? Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. That's not my wise saying. That's scripture, so that means you can take it to the bank. We have to go against the flow. And I'll tell you something, guys. Fathers, it is going to be hard to pull your children against the flow. It is going to be hard because everybody else is doing it. Well, we don't go that direction. We go against the flow. The Bible says that we enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. The bad will influence the good before the good is going to influence the bad. That is just the nature of sin. That means, Father, we have to work very hard praying for our children every day, throughout the day. You're going to have to work hard to pull them against the flow. And sometimes it seems like an uphill battle, but i got news for you. If you will just do what God has asked you to do, God's the one pulling on this rope, not you. We just need to trust His promises. There's a saying I like. It's not in the Scripture, but I like this. God will always take responsibility for the consequences of our obedience. God will always take responsibility for the consequences of our obedience. But let me ask you this. Who's going to take responsibility for the consequences of our disobedience? I'm not talking about salvation. Jesus has done that. You know what? We can get a divorce. And you know something? Great. You're forgiven. Shouldn't say great. You know what I mean? You're forgiven. But are there consequences beyond forgiveness? Oh, yeah, your children suffer. You suffer. There are consequences. And see, people say, well, you're just legalistic. Guys, no. Obedience from the law is law. But obedience out of love is gospel. The law motivated by love is gospel. I can take and help an old lady across the street. And that can be law because I'm, I'm, I'm doing it because I think I have to or because I'm hoping to get paid or whatever. But I can also help, help an old lady across the street because I genuinely care for her and want to protect her. One's law, one's gospel. So, so don't say that, oh, this is just all law. No, it's, it's law motivated by gospel. Another thing I want you to understand is children are not little adults. You know, we treat them like adults. These little things where we try and live through our children vicariously. Especially when you see these toddlers and tiaras or whatever that's called on, on some channel on TV. Makes me sick. Dressing your little three, four, six, eight-year-olds up like they're 20 and 30-year-olds. This isn't godly. What are you teaching? What are you training your children there? What's the message you're giving them? Don't treat your children like little adults. The Bible even says children are not adults. It says this, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. You see, children aren't even capable of processing information the way an adult can. That's just the physiological truth of it all. 
let alone a scriptural warning about it. Now, I'm not saying children can't have a choice of whether or not they want vanilla or chocolate ice cream. But I'll tell you something. There are a lot of important choices that kids are getting to make that they have no business making. I mean, do you want your children getting their information from friends like this? I don't. But many are today. Ephesians 4.14 says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind and teaching and cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. They're being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Time and time again, I'd have parents coming into the school again, and they'd be telling me, you know what? Little Johnny's been at your school six years now, and we're going to let him have his choice where he wants to go this year. It is a rare child who will make that choice based on adult-like thinking. You know what those, those children are thinking about? Oh, do I like the kids here? Do I, do I have the right friends here? Do I have the right sports program here? Do I like the teacher here? No, those are childish things. But when you think like a man, you put childish ways behind you. A rare child would ask themselves, am I going to learn more about God here or there? Am I going to grow in my faith here or there? Children aren't supposed to have those kinds of choices. And they will be tossed to and fro by the wind of teaching and deceitfulness and cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Here's a picture of your child being tossed to and fro in the waves of this world, the winds of doctrine. How is your child going to make their decision on creation versus evolution, marriage, homosexuality, abortion, premarital sex, any of those things? How are they going to make those decisions if they don't have a foundation to base them on and a mind that can think like an adult? Because I'll tell you something, there's only two ways of thinking and no other. There's a godly way and a secular way. You see, if you are building from a foundation on a foundation, and that foundation, if it's Christ, if it's a Christian foundation, as you build on that, you're going to see the fossils are here because God made them and Noah's flood buried these creatures. You're going to see the plants and animals were created for you to have dominion over, to enjoy, and to be able to see God through his creation. You're going to see the earth is, is beautiful and that it is the Lord's footstool. You're going to see the people, that there, there are no such thing as different races and that we're all loved by God and in need of a Savior. You're going to see that there's water on earth for a reason. That it, you know, I like to take a water balloon and hold it over people's heads and put a match under it. It won't burn because the water takes all the heat into it so that the balloon does not pop. You could boil the water balloon without popping the balloon. That's why Earth is the only planet that we have liquid water on because God didn't want us to be a bunch of bacon bits, crispy little critters. The oceans absorb all that heat from the sun so that we can live here. No other planet has liquid water. Happy accident? No. The Christian Foundation tells me because God created Earth for you to live on it. But... If evolution is your foundation, you're going to see the fossils 
as something that got buried millions and billions of years ago. Plants have evolved leading up to you. The earth is a happy accident, and there could be many other happy accidents out there, and there are many different races of people. Some are better than others. Oh, yeah, that's what evolution does teach, by the way. Adolf Hitler loved Darwin because he used the idea of evolution, the inferior race, to try and get rid of the Jews, didn't he? That's what this foundation means. And this is why I disagree with public school textbooks in Christian schools, because you cannot add God to a secular philosophy. If you do, you get Christian humanists. You are either Christian from the foundation or you're not. Many people ask me, do I teach evolution to my kids? Yes, I do. I teach that it's wrong. I think too many parents are out there trying to impose Christianity on their children rather than building it foundationally up. You don't just tell them it's wrong to do this. The Bible says don't do this. You explain to them why. Use the scriptures in your discipline. Sit them down and show them in the Bible what it says. Let the Holy Spirit train your children, not just you telling them it's wrong and don't do it. Show them in the scriptures. Build the foundation rather than imposing it upon them. Because... If we pour in pure biblical truth into our children, as adults, they're going to grow up and they ought to be able to dish this stuff back up so that Christians are going to love it and non-Christians will be challenged by it. But instead, I believe that for the most part, we're training our children with contaminated salt. With liberal humanism, liberal theology, TV, evolution. And as a result, our children are growing up with contaminated salt dishing that stuff out. It's the Christians that are being choked by it and the non-Christians that are loving it. Because we have a humanistic philosophy with God added to it. And the evolutionary termites are slowly eating away at what little Christian foundation we have. And as a result, the whole structure, the whole body is falling apart. And this is why we have politicians that are claiming to be Christians, but making decisions that they do because they have a secular foundation with God added to it. You say, well, he's a Christian, but yet you go, why did he do that? Because they have mixed and compromised. And we see that in the churches as well. We see this pastor saying, and so the Israelites adopted the pagan religion of the day into their culture. This destroyed them. How terrible that God's people could be so blind. But be sure to join us next week for my sermon, How Christians Can Believe in Evolution and Add It to the Bible. Compromise. And we don't even see it. But the Bible says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Do you suppose the same is true for a child trained up in the way he should not go? Now again, I'm not saying Barney is bad here, that you can't watch Barney. It's like I said before, all things are permissible, but not everything is beneficial. I don't want my kids learning about Barney. You say, but they learn the ABCs. Who cares? There are fools at Harvard and Princeton with PhDs that know their ABCs, and they're fools because... As the Bible says, the fool says in their heart, there is no God. They have all this knowledge, and what do they do with it? A bunch of illogical nonsense. 
Just listen to Richard Dawkins or, or P.Z. Myers or any of these people talk. Listen how illogical it is. They've got all kinds of knowledge, but they don't know what to do with it. See, I would rather my child learn the ABCs from some godly book that will teach them how to apply that knowledge to life in godly ways. Jeremiah 10, verse 2 says, This is what the Lord says. Do not learn the ways of the nations or be terrified by the signs in the sky, though the nations are terrified by them. You know, I think that we have become like a toad in warm water. You know, you take a toad, stick it out of its water, put it in hot water, it jumps out. But you take a toad, keep it in its water, put that water on a stove. Now, don't do this at home. Do it at a friend's home. (laughs) Keep that water on the stove. Slowly turn up the heat. It'll cook itself to death. That's exactly what we in our society and country have done as Christians. You know, a crude example, but I believe a good one. I'm told Playboy magazine 50 years ago was women in bras. That's it. And boy, I'll tell you what, anybody who looked at that stuff back then, oh, we knew where they were going. And then we got adjusted to that temperature and the bras come off. Oh, my goodness. And then we got adjusted to that temperature. And then everything's off. And oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, what a terrible world. And then we get adjusted to that temperature. And now, I remember when I was in junior high, actually, on the TV, we'd see these women advertising bras on television. And, you know, I was going, oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah, those kind of things affected me. And don't think it's not affecting your kids today, walking down the mall past the Victoria's Secret, whatever windows those are. It's affecting them. And now today, the things that you can get by plugging the TV into the wall without any you know, subscription to anything is absolutely unspeakable. And like toads in warm water, we've adjusted to the temperature. And it's because of this that we need to isolate our children. People say, oh, I am just so scared for your children. They're so isolated. You know what I tell people when they say that? I say, thank you. I don't really like the word isolate. I prefer the word insulate. But you see, we all isolate our children from something. You can either isolate them from God's word, creation, Christian friends, and truth, or you can isolate them from swearing, from bad jokes, humanism, evolution, sexual talk. Everybody isolates them. It's just a matter of what you isolate them from. And I got news for you. If you want your children to be as close as they can to the Garden of Eden in a fallen world, isolate your children. What was the perfect paradise? Not knowing evil. You see, Satan didn't lie fully. He says, you know, you'll know both good and evil. He just didn't tell them you don't want to know evil. Keep your children as innocent as possible, and they'll be as close to the Garden of Eden as possible in a fallen world. Now, the reason I like the word insulate is because that's what the Word of God would tell us to do. It says, in addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Put on all the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. Because you see, the devil is out there taking these flaming arrows and he's throwing them at our children. Let me ask you this. Those medieval knights, did, did the, the king say, oh, you want to fight for the king? Here you go. Here's your armor. Go fight for the king. 
No, they'd have died because that was awkward to fight with this armor. They'd have been wiped out not knowing how to fight with the armor. But today we throw God's word at our kids and say, go fight for the king. And in one generation it's wiped out. If you want to know if your children know how to use the armor of God, test them. It's easy. Say, somebody comes up to you and says they're a practicing homosexual. What do you say? If they can't pull out of the scriptures why people are gay, and they're not born that way, why people are gay, why it's wrong, then they don't know how to use the armor. Somebody wants a divorce. Test them to see if they can use the armor to combat that. If they don't, they're not ready. It's very easy to test them. You know, the Bible says this. Sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children, a reward from Him. Children are a gift from God. Do you see your child as a gift from God that He has given you for borrowed time? Because they belong to Him. They're His gift. Guys, I want you to look at this picture and I want you to look at it very closely because it's going to sum this presentation up. I have here a pile of money representing a bank account. There's a boat and a car for your entertainment, your prized possessions, your house, your entertainment there with the TV, your poodles, your pets, and your children. Let me ask you this question. Out of all of these things here that are so important that sum up everything we work for in this life, which one of these is going to last forever? Which one of these will last forever and ever and ever and ever and ever in either heaven or hell? Only one. That child. What you do in training your children today isn't just training your children. It's training their children and their children and their children. And you can affect millions of people down the road. Generations. Because, guys, education... What's important in education isn't the sports program or how many computers they have or what the teachers like. The importance of education is whether or not they're growing in their faith and knowing more about God and His Word. Look what Philippians 3, 7 through 8 says. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Now, I want you to understand something, guys. Paul is speaking here. Paul had it all. He had the knowledge. He had the social, the the friends. He had it all. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And he says, I consider it all loss. He goes on, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. He considered it garbage. He would consider your sports program at your school garbage if Christ isn't the center of it. He would consider your computers garbage. He'd consider your math program garbage if your children are not learning the surpassing and greatness of Jesus Christ, the surpassing knowledge of that. 2 Timothy 3.14 says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. By the way, who did Timothy learn this from? Grandma Lois. Grandmas and grandpas out there, I want you to understand something. You may not be able to relate to the kids today. You may not understand them, but I got news for you. You are training them as well. I wish I had time tonight to tell you about 
what I learned from my grandma and grandpa, what a blessing they were, and the things that I take with me to this day that I pass on to my children from them. My grandpa had a big wheat farm, and I remember one time, it was harvest time, he watched a, a big storm go through and hail level the field. You know what he said? The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Let's go do some fencing. Grandmas and grandpas, you do affect what your children and grandchildren are learning. Even though they may not know how to relate to you, they're listening, they're watching. It goes on here, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Notice, from infancy... You don't have to be old enough to understand it, but from, how, from infancy, you know the Holy Scriptures. Because those Holy Scriptures will give you wisdom, not just knowledge, wisdom to apply knowledge. Wise for salvation as well. It's not the sports program. The Bible says we glory in one thing. Look what Jeremiah 9.23 says. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. We glory in one thing and one thing only, the Lord, not sports. And let me tell you something, our kids pick up on what we glory in. Your kids score a touchdown and you're, yeah, yeah, you just, oh man, you get so excited. Hey, look at the memory verse that I did for church this week. Hey, good job. Oh, our kids know what we're proud of. Let me ask you this. Look at this picture one more time. Out of all these things that are so important to us today, which one of these can you take with you? Only one. Only one. You might have to send them on ahead. You might go on ahead. You might get to go with them. But the bottom line is this. Out of all those things, only one thing can get to heaven, and that is your children. That sure makes vegetables seem insignificant, doesn't it? Train your children in the Word of God. What are you proud of in your kids? That they're all doctors? That they are famous? That they can score a touchdown? Or that they love the Lord? Because I'll tell you something, the only measure of success when it's all said and done is whether they know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I want to close with two quotes here. One from a guy named here, John Dunphy. He's an atheist And an evolutionist, he said this, I am convinced that the battle for humankind's future must be waged and won in the public school classroom by teachers who correctly perceive their role as the proselytizers of a new faith, a religion of humanity that recognizes and respects the spark of what theologians call divinity within every human being. These teachers must embody the same selfless dedication as the most rabid fundamentalist preachers for they will be ministers of another sort, utilizing a classroom instead of a pulpit to convey humanist values in whatever subject they teach, regardless of the educational level, preschool, daycare, or large state university. The classroom must and will become an arena of conflict between the old and the new. The rotting corpse of Christianity, together with all its adjacent evils and misery, and the new faith of humanism. You know what, guys? This is a pretty old quote. And since this quote, 
I can see that it has gotten much, much worse. All you have to do is listen to some conservative talk show radios, uh, radio programs and see what's going on in our public schools today and the brainwashing that's going on and that they are using it as a pulpit to convey humanist values in whatever subject they teach. Guys, I am thankful that there are Christian teachers in public schools. I'm glad they're there. But I got news for you. I hear that all the time. Well, my kid goes to a public school, but we've got some great Christian teachers there. I don't care, because I'll tell you something. Some of those great Christian teachers have their hands bound by what they can do and say. And you know what? They're not there all the time, because your kids are hanging out with the other kids most of the time, hearing the things that they're saying as well. And all it takes is one teacher that's not a Christian to really mess up your kids. It's all it takes. I've seen it happen time and time and time again. Again, I can't tell you that you have to take your kids out of public school and put them into a Christian school. Maybe that's not an option. What I'm saying is this. Measure what your circumstances are to the Word of God. And remember what's important. I'm going to leave you with a quote by Martin Luther. And I'll tell you, I think this hits it right on the head. He said, I would advise no one to send his child where the Holy Scriptures are not supreme. Every institution that does not unceasingly pursue the study of God's Word becomes corrupt. Now think about this for a moment, guys. Harvard, Yale, Princeton, how many started out as Christian universities? All of them. How many are today? Not a one. Why? Because like toads in warm water, they compromised. They compromised. He goes on and he says this. Because of this, we can see what kind of people they become in the universities and what they are like now. Nobody is to blame for this except the Pope, bishops, and the prelates, and I'm going to add to that, parents, who are all charged with training young people. The universities only ought to turn out men who are experts in the Holy Scriptures, men who can become bishops and priests and stand in the front line against heretics, the devil, and all the world. But where do you find that? I greatly fear that the universities, unless they teach the Holy Scriptures diligently and impress them on the young students, are wide gates to hell. Statistics show he was right. We've got an important responsibility. Because what we do and the way our children are today will affect generations. Check this out. There was a guy named Max Jukes. He was an atheist. He lived a godless life. He married an ungodly woman. And from this union, there were 310 who died as paupers, 150 criminals, seven murderers, 100 drunkards, and more than half of the women were prostitutes. Out of his 540 descendants, it cost the state one and a quarter million dollars before inflation. But then there was also a record of a godly man named Jonathan Edwards. He lived at the same time as Max Jukes. He married a godly woman. An investigation was made of 1,394 of his known descendants. Thirteen became college presidents, 65 college professors, three United States senators, 30 judges, 100 lawyers, 60 physicians, 75 army and navy officers, 100 preachers and missionaries, 60 authors of prominence, one vice president of the United States, 80 public officials of other capacities, 295 college graduates, among whom were governors of states and ministers to foreign countries. 
Jonathan Edwards' descendants did not cost the state a single penny. What a difference that a godly family can make. Guys, I don't want you to look back tonight. I know some of you were sitting here, oh man, we have messed up. We just just destroyed our family. Some of you are thinking, I'm a single parent. What am I supposed to do? Well, churches, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to help and reach out to these single parents, aren't we? All of you can probably take one or two children and take them to be as adopted grandchildren. Help them out. Help the the, the single parents out. Those of you who think you messed up, you know what? So have I. We're going to continue to mess up. And that's where you brush off the dust. You get up and you thank Jesus for his forgiveness. And you just keep moving on. Many of you say, it's too late. My children are graduated. They're gone. It's never too late. I'll tell you something. I learned more from my parents after I left the house than I ever did when I was in the home. In the home, I thought I knew everything. I didn't listen as well. And now, it's all sinking in. It is never too late. Don't look back. God put the eyes in the front of our head for a reason. Not in the back. Grab on to the promises of God because He will be faithful to them. And now do what God has asked you to do and He will bless that. Don't look back. Look ahead because He is faithful. Thank you.